When I was at uni, which was 96 is when I started, that was when the internet was just becoming mainstream and, you know, we're all getting our first hotmail addresses and it was all very exciting and I was like, wow, this internet thing is really going to change the world and I remember just becoming fascinated by the world of e-business. G'day and welcome to Life on the Land, a Grazy Her podcast telling stories about rural and regional women across Australia. My name is Emily Herbert and I'm your host for this episode. The name Jane Kay is synonymous with trailblazing success. The mum of three is the founder of Bird's Nest, the little kuma shop which has turned into a digital commerce giant, turning over $25 million a year. With nearly 150 staff, the accolades have rolled in. Jane has been named number one in the top 50 people in e-commerce and Bird's Nest has been named the fourth best place to work in Australia. The business also now boasts nine in-house brands. All this while raising her three kids alongside husband Ollie on their Merino property 65 kilometres outside Cooma. Yet on March 16, 2020, everything was tumbling down. It's a day seared into Jane's memory as one weather store was receiving more packages returned than what they were sending out. So March 16, just for some context probably, you know, we, we like much of New South Wales, have been in drought um, for the last three years and just, just coming out of that, which is pretty exciting. So me having a shop <laughs> was part of the diversification plan um, of, of having a farm. And I guess, you know, 16th of March for Australia, I think was, I think it was the day the Prime Minister announced that, you know, if you're coming back from overseas, you needed to isolate the 14 days, you know, all across the country, you know, this word unprecedented was becoming like a buzzword and everyone was losing a fair bit of confidence. And it was also the day that, you know, I know that, you know, I'd been so focused on the safety aspect of the pandemic. And I know my little, my sister had been saying, Jane, have you been watching the sales? Not so good, not so good. And I was like, it'll be right. I've just got to get, you know, everyone into zones and temperature checking. And I'm just, you know, I'm a bit busy at the moment. It'll be right, Sal. Um, my sister's an accountant. Anyway, this was the day that I looked at our sales and realised that we actually on this day had more parcels coming back into the business as returns than we did having parcels go out. So this was, we were going backwards and in a business that has become our size, that sort of cash flow situation is very scary very quickly and I just remember having this feeling of just my stomach just dropped and yes I drove I was crying driving home you know and I saw Ollie out on the tractor (laughs) and I drove out to the tractor and I waved him down I was like oh tough Ollie you know it's you know it's stopped raining at the nest as well we are we are both in drought um so yeah uh, it was it was it was just a really scary time at, at that time so, um, unprecedented is definitely the word for it. How were those those first weeks and months for you and the business? Yeah, look, well, I mean, initially, you know, I love a, ch- I love a, you know, the new thing. I'm always up for the new thing. <laughs> it wasn't a new thing that I'd really, you know, that any of us had banked on. But I, I was like, okay, well, you know, our first challenge is we, we, I think of it as three waves. This the first wave was like, okay, let's. This is all about safety. I I have to look after this team. I've got a responsibility. You know, I remember we were really lucky. That, communities just started forming and in for the e-commerce community 
um, you know, this Kate who runs Adore Beauty in Melbourne, she set up this Slack group and we all got into this Slack group and were sharing like what we would, because we all had warehouses and sharing, oh, this is what we're doing and this is what we're doing for our team and this is a new policy and we're all just sharing and this is the signs we're putting in our store. So we sort of, that was that first wave and I was like, okay, this is kind of, we can do this. And I think the team were really appreciative that we were taking it so seriously at a time when, you know, it was, it was sort of lagging, you know, the, we're still having prime ministers thinking they were going to football matches and, you know, like it was, there was crazy stuff going on. Um, and so we were taking that part really seriously. That was all good. Then the next wave was, oh my gosh, you know, it's going to impact so many people's livelihoods, including our own. And for me, having the responsibility of 140, you know, other little humans who, we were part of getting cornflakes onto their table as well that, you know, that was like, wow. So that was super duper scary. And then obviously, you know, the great thing was that I guess for us, you know, a lot of our resilience came because while we had to close the store, actually 95% of our business is online. And once we, once sort of Australia got through that first wave and then obviously JobKeeper came into play, um, which in the end we didn't qualify because we, we were, we actually were down in sales, for a month for at least at least 30%. But then we started coming out and we just, yeah, we didn't qualify for JobKeeper, which I'm kind of glad about in the end, but in the, we did benefit from it. Obviously we all benefited from it because it helped so many people um, and so many industries who were suffering so badly. So, and then, you know, and, and because I think, you know, bittersweet, but a lot of the dollars transferred from an offline retail market into an online space. So that, um, yeah, that was part of our, our recovery. The other thing is 40, like a lot of what we, we produce a lot of our own clothing and about 40% of that is made in Australia. So one of the things, because one of the other phases of this whole thing was the, the supply chain, um, you know, we couldn't, you know, China was, was, of course, the first impacted, then India, and we do a lot of production in both of those places. Um, and so we really had to pivot and rely very heavily on our Australian-made um, manufacturing, which was fantastic, this, you know, beautiful team of people. Um, and, yeah, we also pivoted from selling a lot of evening wear, obviously, <laughs> to a lot of pull-on pants, Emily. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many pull-on pants we have sold this year. So, yeah, so there were sort of the three ways. And as we started to come out and it all started to be more positive, that's when the learnings began and, you know, we, we could find the silver linings and luckily the green linings as well because it was starting to rain. I was definitely a consumer of those pull-on pants, so may or may <laughs> not have been helping with those sales. But you had an added factor in that you had just signed on the dotted line for this big new building. You know, you just bought the old Woolworths building in Cooma. What was going yeah. through your head with all of that? Oh, now you're bringing back all the nightmares, aren't you? <laughs> that was so scary. I mean, we, we had actually bought this. It, it's a whole shopping centre, actually. It's not just Woolworths. It was like it is a mall. It used to be a hairdresser, a bakery a news agents a cafe rivers um grace brothers like it's four thousand square meters this place is huge and then it's got an entire car park so um we actually bought that building two and a half years ago and we had a subdivision that took a long time to go through and just happened to took two and a half years to go through and it went through on the 31st of march and i remember just you know Ollie and I sitting at the kitchen table thinking, how, you know, we looked at all the ways, how can we get out of this, you know, you know, and it, it just, 
didn't make sense and we'd also bought it from two people that we really respected and um liked in town as well so we didn't want to pull out on them but we were like are we going to end up with this empty building and no business and um anyway it was it was yeah it was it was scary I, th- I think you know I'm I, I, I might have mentioned before I'm a very good sleeper and you know I think that's kind of handy when you run a business that you know you can switch off and sleep at night and it was the first time that I just you know waking up just constantly in the night thinking what am I going to do how am I going to turn this around for everyone you know it's not just Ollie and I that are going to go down we're going to bring all these other people with us so Yes, I did. I had to resort to sleeping tablets for the first time in my life, and I can now relate to everyone who talks about insomnia and that three a.m. thinking in the middle of the night. I, I just, I think a lot of regional businesses um, at the start it was such a stressful time, but there has been so many silver linings that have come out of this. What have been some of your learnings from such a challenging and turbulent period? Oh, look, I think. Um, I think we've learned that the importance of diversification, both, you know, in our product range, in our supply chain, in the customers we serve, um, in the channels in which we serve them, you know, that has been a huge part of our resilience. Um, I think we've learned that there's, well, I've certainly learned that there's nothing like a team that cares. You know, I think that gets you through so much. Um, And, you know, there there was a time obviously when, when I was, you know, really not coping. The t- and, you know, when I look back at things that the team wrote to me at that time and, you know, we can do this and we can do it together, we'll, it'll be fine, Jane, we'll make it work, you know, da, da, da. they really did carry me through that period. And I think, um, you know, when you have a team, when you have a group of humans dedicated to a cause and a, you know, vision together, you, you make things happen. And, um, yeah, we're a very adaptable little um group of humans, I think, you know, one of the most comforting um, quotes in that I've found in life and in business is um, the Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution around, you know, it is not the strongest of us that survive. It is not the most um, intelligent, but it is the one that is most adaptable to change. And I think you know, when things happen and, you know, I think that's what we've proved is that we can be adaptable little humans and we all have to adapt to to you know the constant change which is what life is absolutely there's a real nugget of gold in in those dark times i'd love to rewind a little bit to well before it even really started you did grow up in kuma and promised or swore to your mum that you would would never be back <laughs> where did you go to university and what was your trajectory after school yeah, so I headed off to the Big Smoke, yes, definitely. And I'd, I'd seen my mum grow up on the land and my uncles were farmers and I was like, wow, that looks hard. And, and, and I think as a young person, I just really thought all the opportunities were in the city. That's, that's where they were. So I headed off to Sydney uh, and I was at the University of New South Wales, um, great university in Randwick there, and um, was lucky enough actually to, um, in my first year I actually missed out initially but my second year of uni I was accepted into a scholarship program that allowed you to you know work in industry while you did your degree which was a really you know great way of working out what path you would take and I always knew I wanted to be in business and so I was in a commerce degree but this scholarship actually required that I studied technology and really because it was such a good scholarship you know it really helped pay for rent and 
you know, and plus the industry experience. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to study. I really thought computers were for boys, nerds, and I couldn't even, like, I remember my first shoot at uni trying to, they said, put the disc in the, put the floppy disc in there. And I'm like, what's the floppy disc and where does it go? Like, I just, I had no idea. Anyway, but when I was at uni, which was 96 is when I started, that was when the internet was just becoming mainstream and, you know, we're all getting our first hotmail addresses and it was all very exciting. And I was like, wow, this internet thing is really going to change the world. And I remember just becoming fascinated by the world of e-business. I mean, it was not only going to change the way we did business, it was going to change, you know, the way we socialize, the way we shop, the way we educated ourselves. But yes, my fascination was with the business. So I then went to try and find whatever organization I could that was totally focused on this. And I ended up yeah, joining IBM, who were, had an e-business team at the time. There was E in front of everything. Um, and that's, that's, I guess, yeah, that's where my career started. And that's what I, I guess I imagined for myself corporate career you know wearing suits and high heels in the city (laughs) and you stayed with IBM for a couple of years but the high-flying corporate stuff didn't last what happened wow yeah then then came the boy in a big cowboy hat yeah (laughs) so um Yes, that is what happened. Um, and look, he was great because I'd obviously just finished this, you know, degree and I had this great job that I was in love with. You know, he was, the boy did come to the city. He attempted the city, you know, on an ag bike. That was his form of transportation through um, <laughs> Sydney. It was very funny. Um, and, you know, he worked at the, um, the fruit and veggie markets for a while. So, yeah, the boy came off the land and gave it his best shot. Um, and we tried that for, you know, a year or two in Sydney and he ended up at running a farm at Marool, like running a farm at Marool and then we'd sort of be weekend boyfriend, girlfriend. I was a child bride. We did marry pretty young. Uh, you know, dad, people used to say to dad, you know, aren't you, aren't you worried that she's, you know, getting married so young? And he's like, oh, and cause I was 22 at the time. It's like, don't worry. She's marrying the older man. And they're like, so how old's Ollie? And they're like, oh, he's 23. <laughs> A wealth of experience. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) So you got married in 2000 and then moved back to Cooma. How did you end up buying the store High Country Outfitters? Oh, yeah. Well, that was, I I really, um, it's a process of falling in love, fell in love with Ollie, you know. I then fell in love with this amazing girlfriend that I made um, called Sarah Rose, who was a Canadian Amazon gorgeous thing. And we just um, had this beautiful friendship that, you know, she'd also married a boy in a cowboy hat and moved to the Snowy Mountains to be with the man from Snowy River um, and you know we both had this real passion for starting a business and I think it was through her that I actually had the confidence to do it because I think you know reaching going out on my own like I just don't know that I had the self I don't know belief that I could do something like that and she was so full of confidence and she was just so amazing she made me think we could do anything um, and so yes yeah, so we actually went into this business together we looked at everything from you know subway franchises to you know we could have ended up anything and we just we we so we fell into retail and I fell into retail and you know Sarah in the end she they did leave the Monero and um so that that partnership didn't wasn't for long but it was it was a very important 
part of the start of this business and how I got into business, I think. And um, yeah, so that's how it started. It was a very eclectic high country outfitters had been in Cooma for years. I knew it from a kid. They sold, it was a rural merchandise store. They sold Aaron Williams boots and a Cooper hats. But by the time we bought it, it was 60% women's fashion. Mm. And you don't describe yourself as a fashionista back then, particularly. <laughs> so oh, what was it now. like? What was it like, you know, working in, in a shop with not a real background or, or passion for, for clothes? Well, I, I love dressing up as much as the next girl. I mean, the real, the real difference was um, Peggy, who, who had been with the store since she was 13, actually. She was force mad as well as fashion mad. Um, and so Peggy, um, who is still with us, he's, he's you know, been such a huge and important part of this business. She's the creative. She should have been born in Paris. She was born in Kuma. Um, and she... Had, she was buying for the store and managing the store and stayed on. So I, I really learned at her feet <laughs> about how retail works, how you serve women. I mean, she was a magician on that shop floor. She really had the ability to serve women and she understood women's body. She understood women's psyche. She just knew how to cut them in her hand and, you know, transform them from walking in with no confidence to walking out feeling a million dollars. So I was just, you know, I really learned um, everything from her in terms of that, that retail. And she's, you know, gone on to become our, our head of buying and now she's our head of creative and she's a huge, you know, she's a huge part of what is selected and curated. Well, the, the curator of, of all the product on our site. So she's the product person. She is the, you know, and then of course she's developed a team of amazing and talented people. So that, that you know, you know, dad always said, surround yourself with people smarter than you. <laughs> um, and that's worked out for me. <laughs> Did you always plan on taking it online? No, not at all. Um, I didn't know. I, I think I was just so uh, focused on trying to understand the business we had. And it wasn't until probably, you know, two or three years in that um, I was like, oh, wow, this is really magic. We've got this great, um, I love what happens in the store and we've got this magic that happens here. Wouldn't it be great to reach a larger market? And of course, you know, we'd pretty much we'd build a really successful business in a, in a country town where we'd nearly doubled the revenue since we took over the store. Um, and we were turning over nearly a million dollars in a retail in a little country town, which is, you know, Kuma's a great retail town because there's got a lot of people coming through. Um, that was I couldn't believe it. I was already like, wow, this is amazing. And, you know, the next logical step was to go and open stores in other country towns, you know, let's go to Goulburn or to Wagga or, um, and, I was like, and because I guess of my background in the technology, I was looking overseas and looking what was happening with online shopping in around 2006. And I was like, wow, this is big. Um, I think we should, this would be a great next step. And at the time, of course, everyone thought I was crazy. Like they really, people couldn't imagine that people would, try would like buy a pair of jeans without trying them on first or so yeah there was a lot of pushback on me you know spending too much time on this idea that I had so the store transformed into bird's nest and you took it online how quickly did it start to grow what were those first years of digital commerce like bad Mad, crazy. Yeah. All those things that you hear about, about startups and when it's fast and cause it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, we weren't thinking it was going to grow like that. And, you know, when you, um, we pretty much doubled in size for the first three years of being online. So it was just, 
big and so you know you that's that's like that breaks everything in your business every process every space every um you know of course you need new team members and you've got to bring them on and ha- you know like that lots can go wrong in that space i mean it's a quality as dad would say oh, listen to how much i say as dad would say um <laughs> he's been quite influential um so yeah but it's a it is a quality problem you know it was always a quality problem but there was plenty of them <laughs> what were some of the biggest challenges with that quick growing culture oh look i think i i didn't I didn't even know there was a word called culture at the time. You know, I think that was half the problem, you know. So I, I just, I just, you know, we'd been this tight-knit little team that knew each other so well, knew how we would deal with every situation. You know, we could almost read each other, um, read each other's next move. And then all of a sudden we had, we were literally uh, saying, oh, really, your cousin's best friend's girlfriend can start tomorrow. That's great. Do they, you know, pretty much do they have two hands and legs? Can they come and help pack these parcels? And mm-hmm. Um, help us run this business so we we grew very quickly and I think it was I came back into the business just had a penny um and so and I remember coming back in um and someone who I had never even met was on the phone <laughs> to a customer saying oh look um really sorry but that's past our 14-day returns policy and um you know I'm afraid that we might be able to um to, to refund that and I'm in the background, you know, going, cut, 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 you know, and she's like, oh, I'll just have to ring you back. And I'm like, oh, you know, don't you know that, like, you know, if in doubt be generous and, you know, we just, we always just, you know, whatever the customer wants, we just do, we don't even take any notice of any of those old policies. They're from the store ages ago. And, you know, but basically we hadn't had time to catch up, to rewrite mm. things, to, to induct people to, you know, and then this whole concept of culture um, and that that was actually my main job now. My job was no longer to get there in the morning, back in the floor and open the door. And, you know, my, my job was to actually um, create an environment and a, we call it the soil, like, you know, create the right soil for people to grow and thrive in and, and that we're not recruiting and inducting and, and training for that. And we were not being really clear about what our values were. More from Jane in just a moment. But now a message from our sponsor. Don't you think there's nothing like the relief of seeing two headlights in the dark knowing someone is coming to get you when you're broken down? SG Off-Road understand it all. They've been on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with little kids in tow. They know what it's like to have someone turn up to take care of the problem. SG Off-Road are the little blokes gone big. Founded in 2002, they put the humanity back into machines, mixing impeccable auto care with an incredible empathy for who's behind the wheel. An ARB stockist with two stores in South Gippsland with a huge range of courtesy vehicles. They're available for their customers no matter what, whether in their workshops, in your driveway, or even if you're stuck on the Tanami track. Whether it's leaning against the bulba for a yarn or rocking a bright conversation starting shirt for mental health, there's really anything they say no to when it comes to cars and those that drive them. Beyond the wheel bearings and the four-wheel drive setups, SG Off-Road are more than mechanics. They become a slice of people's lives and truly love what they do.
So when did values become so fundamental and, and how did you build the or start the building blocks of the culture that Bird's Nest is now really famous for? Oh, look, I think, I mean, I think they were always there. We had this, when Sarah and I started, we had this long list. Dad's, um, like we, Dad said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so um, you'll, you'll learn about the fact that I grew up in a business that was very entrepreneurial. So we were always talking about business in our family. Um, and so, yeah, I remember, you know, putting this business plan, you know, we'd come out of university, we had this classic business plan and, we, you know, we had our financial goals and then we needed to have our, um, our, you know, what were our what were our personal goals? Like, what, what did we want this business to mean? So I remember having all these sayings like, you know, we need to get on the dance floor, we need to have fun, we need to treat our team as family. So we had all these sort of like the grounds of it, but I remember it was about, it was really, it was a really long list of things, you know, that we, that were important to us. Um, and so it just wasn't distilled enough for anyone to really, you know, if you, if someone new was coming on board, they'd almost be overwhelmed by this kind of list of things that were important. So it was, you know, it was distilling those down to, to values were always there, but this, this time when we'd got to about sort of 40, 50 people, that was when it was like, okay. And we all went away for a weekend and we really together all came up with what is the most important things and distilled it down to the, to those things. And what are okay. a couple of those, those most important things? Yeah, look, I think it, it came down to, we, we ended up calling it our bird song. Um, so yes, we don't sing it, but it is kind of each letter stands for a different value that forms part of, I guess, how we try to be with each other and how, what we try to bring to the world. Um, some of the foundation notes of our bird song are like N is for nurture. And that talks about, look, ultimately, you know, we need to look after ourselves as humans first. And, you know, like what they say when you're on the plane, buy your oxygen mask first before assisting others. Um, and so that's one of the foundation notes of, of Birdsong. Um, Surprise Her is all about that generosity piece that, you know, um, that you can be generous. And that's, that's not only with our customers, but also with each other and community. G is gratitude. So yeah, these are, these are the types of things that we, and we celebrate each of these every month. We look for them when we recruit, um, we measure against them as part of our performance appraisals, um, which are not very traditional performance appraisals. Um, so yeah, we really try to ingrain it. They're not just words on a, on a wall. Mm. It certainly sounds like um, this ethos, which, you know, wouldn't be out of place in Silicon Valley is absolutely integral to your business, which is based in regional New South Wales. So, or, you know, down at Cooma. So, you know, how important is it for other regional businesses to perhaps take a cue from this cultural card and, and embrace this in their own businesses? Oh, look, I think most businesses have this, you know, like it, it, even it, it, if it's not highly explicit, it, it's there. And sometimes it's, you know, just about talking about it, bring it to the forefront. And then, you know, it becomes such, it becomes so helpful. I think the reason, you know, for business owners was often, you know, the things that people talk about that are really hard in business are actually the soft stuff, <laughs> you know, these soft skills and relationships and, 
and people and keeping teams happy and, you know, dealing with things when things go wrong or people behave badly. I mean, that's the hard stuff. I mean, if I ever lose sleep, it's over that stuff, you know, or if I ever, you know, get stressed probably is when I always sleep, but, um, you know, is it's over that stuff that churns you up. You know, how am I going to walk into this difficult conversation? How am I going to be honest with this person about, you know, the impact that, their behaviors having on the team or you know those things are the things that are super hard in business and that often get left and when you have some shared values that you can lean back on um, those things really help you through those conversations because it often you can bring it back to something like nurture look what is going on for you at the moment like you know I don't feel like you're being able to be your best, your best self I, I, you know when you snapped the other day you know what was going on for you and because you've got you know, these things that you can bring it back to it, 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 it means that it, um, it gives you a platform to have these conversations and, 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 and be clear about what the expectations are for how we all behave and, and treat each other. Are these leadership skills innate for you or did you learn them from elsewhere or where do you draw your inspiration from? so many places no I feel like I'm learning all the time and I feel like I'm stuffing up all the time you know it was only yesterday I was in a room with you know one of our leaders and and I was apologizing for you know how I'd handled a situation I just it wasn't good enough you know and um so I feel like you know, we, we constantly sleep up and I think I've become a little bit kinder to myself around those sleep ups and that allows us to be a little bit more honest about when that, when those things happen and, you know, people are forgiving, but you, you can't, you can't stop up too many times and you, you, you definitely need to try and catch yourself earlier. And I think that's a skill that we, we constantly learn in life, but there's so, there's so many great teachers out there. And I think, you know, this is something that you can definitely learn and get better at. Your, well, you say that your life changed in 2013 when you went to a Mindful Leaders Conference, is that correct, or mm-hmm. retreat? Can retreat, you talk, yes. yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, yes, in the lead up to that, um, I was really disillusioned. You know, I talk about a relationship with a business being like a long-term, like a marriage, you know, having been married 20 years this year, like like, uh, only last week, I think, we hit 20 years and like a marriage. Congratulations. Wow. Yeah, it's an achievement, let me tell you. Mm. Um, So, yeah, so I think like in a marriage or any long-term relationship, and I've been in this business for 16 years now, that that you, you go through phases and you go through ups and downs and um, this this particular period back in 2013, I was, you know, I was also the mother of very young children and, you know, we were probably about 80 people then and, I, you know, I'd never run a business with 80 people in it before and I think I'd really begun to question whether I was the right person. I think in that, in that entrepreneurial growth, you know, a founder's got to ask the question, are they the right person to lead this business or really should you be handing over to the professionals? Um, so, or a grown up or someone who knew what they were doing. Um, so, and that I was at that stage, I think, cause I, I was pretty stressed at the time, pretty snappy. I was overreacting to things. I remember thinking, wow, I'm not sure if I am the right person. So at that time I got a coach and he said, look, the best way to work out how you're going and how you are as a leader is to ask your, your leadership team, ask them how you're going. And we did this, this feedback session of oh my like, what are the things that I should, um, was, what are the things should I, that I should start doing, that I should continue doing and that I should stop doing. Um, and of course, all I could hear was 
what should I stop doing? And, um, you know, thank you. I mean, it was such a gift in the end. It was a scary, scary process, but such a gift. And, you know, I really learn about this panic button that I have and the impact that I had on other people. And um, I remember getting to New Year's Eve and actually literally sitting down on the computer and Googling um, how do I calm down? <laughs> um, and that's how I found the retreat. That's how I found Charlotta um, Sarah Bowen, who's... Um, you know, a world-renowned mindfulness practitioner and, and teacher um, and coach. And so, yes, yeah, and that's what took me to the retreat. And then I learned about this whole whole world that I had very much resisted because I remember this all this stuff on meditation came up and I was like, oh, get out of town. No, who has time for meditation? Seriously, I'm a busy person. <laughs> that's for the hippies, man. Tell me there's something quicker that I can do to calm down. <laughs> Is there a pill? <laughs> yeah, there's got to be a pill. <laughs> I'm sure there is. I haven't tried that. <laughs> so what changed your mind about meditation and mindfulness and, and well-being? Well, that experience. And I think, you know, the great thing about the way Shalotta particularly teaches us about, you know, and introduces us into that world, she really combines that sort of ancient wisdom part that I was sort of looking at and thinking, you know um not sure and then and then just the neuroscience that like all the research and the neuroscience around um how meditation affects our brains and the 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 thing that i didn't like learn as a child and i just think it, i can't believe, and i think now it's coming a lot more into schools and into into curriculum and into education but i had no idea about how this thing on top of my head worked um like i didn't know that we had a frontal cortex for example you know that is apparently where you know all our rational and compassionate thinking happens and then we have you know this reptilian brain i, I just didn't know all about that i didn't know that when you're stressed you're in a you're in your body is in a certain state that can't access that part of your brain that has all those really compassionate and rational thinking <laughs> so it's, it became incog like it's actually impossible to be stressed and a nice person at the same time so that was such a great thing i mean it was just so enlightening to learn because i think i'd spent so much time thinking being busy and important was important you know like that you know having no sleep and being on that drive and you know that that was all part of a status you know that I was trying to acquire and it was yeah I mean it was almost a competition who could have less sleep you know and get more done and it was not serving me well um so it was a very uh yeah it was a very like <clears throat> it was a very finding like a whole, whole gift that like that was that was actually inside you the whole time. Like there was this this thing that you could find inside you, this sense of peace and calm and stillness that I remember just feeling and going, oh my gosh, wow! I just have to be quiet enough to tap into that. Mm. Um, and there's a whole reservoir of infinite possibility, you know that can't tap into when you're in the when you're in the drive state I guess what a so beautiful yeah what a beautiful revelation and how did you bring that into your workplace 
Well, yes, I think that that I was I became like an evangelist. I was like, oh my gosh, I've seen the light. You know, <laughs> I was probably a bit over the top. Um, no, <laughs> I'm joined by Princess Colt. Yeah. Um, so no, it was. It, I think you know. Um, there's those moments when you're, you're really in it and then there's those moments when you really just intellectualize it. Like, you know, it's there and you know, you could access it, but you know, you actually, it's, it's, it's not reachable because you're actually not practicing it and you're not, um, you're not being in it. But I, I think the fact that I had this moment of that, I was like, I want to give that as a gift to my team that, you know, that they also might be able to, you know, find some peace, some clarity, reduce their stress, increase their creativity, like, you know, just to be able to access the, the gifts that this quietening down can give you, you know, and for many people, it's different things, you know, it might not be meditation, it might be other ways that, um, you know, walks in nature and just finding quiet time for themselves that, um, that it is how they, um, slow down, down and find that piece but yeah so we we did bring it back into the team and we we did a number of things so we had you know a number of key leaders go on retreat we had other like nine ambassadors go on a three or four day training and then part of induction for every single team member that joins us is a full day of um, training with Shalotta or you know education with Shalotta which is you know does all that great stuff of combining um, both you know, things that are super accessible, like understanding the research and the science, as well as, um, you know, understanding the practice and, and, and it's, you know, how, how deep rooted it is in human history. So, yeah, I think, um, and we really, yeah, I guess saw uh, the impact that that had both at an individual team organisation and, and also a community level. Mm. So do you offer like daily meditation practices or how does it work practically? Yes, we do. We do. So there is a daily meditation practice. Um, and yeah, we have a dedicated space, which keeps moving at the moment due to COVID because we have to spread out the moment we do. It's in the store very early, like before the store opens, we ring a bell and got lovely lush change rooms. So you can just lie in there and then it becomes a rainforest as Shalana's beautiful voice comes over or it might be a rainbow session or a, I don't know mm. and I mean not everyone taps into that but I think what the thing is that those that do it has a trickle effect mm. um, within the rest of the nest. Mm. So how do you manage your well-being with you know nearly 150 staff now and a busy young family and a, a thriving business? Oh look I think you know the the biggest learning for me was um, the importance of sleep. So I was definitely burning the candle at both ends. So generally if I have sleep, most every, a lot of other stuff clicks into place. So that's, that became my number one well, well, well-being priority because Charlotte was like, Jane, there's no point in doing all this other stuff if you're not sleeping. <laughs> um, so like getting enough, because I getting enough, that is. Um, and so, yeah, so sleep. And then, you know, I, I obviously love, I love yoga. I, I know I'm talking to a yogi. <laughs> um, love to do a class with you one day. Um, so, yeah, so yoga, and we, we also have that, we put that on for the nest as well. And we've done that virtually through COVID and that's just one thing that I, I've been disciplined enough to I think because I just love it so much it's not it's hardly discipline um and then um yeah if I get just some time just a little bit of time to walk in nature or you know each week that that is definitely enough to keep me on a steady feel I just think living on this farm living on this property um 
has been a huge part of why there's been so much balance because I do have this sort of really busy and crazy time in town and people just come and you know we're on the we're on the road to nowhere so no one visits us out here and that's that's very peaceful I'm I'm in my Ugg boots as I speak to you. (laughs) Bird's Nest is you know so successful it has a turnover of 25 million a year and over 70 percent return customers what do you think is the secret behind that or the recipe for that success oh look i think it's just an incredible team it's it's care factor i think um you know i look at um you know we, we take one of our sayings that we love is you know no one will it's, it's that beautiful one from Mara. it's um, no one will care what you said it's, it's it's all about how you make people feel and I think um, you know we have a team I think less than 10% of our team have a tertiary educa- education so um, you know yet yeah, we've got a team that make the impossible possible and they've won national awards for their customer service and um, their innovation and so I just I feel like it's you know getting a group of people together who feel part of something and care about each other first and then that has a trickle effect to who they serve and they, then their care factor for the people they serve and the suppliers that we work with and you know it all it you know it's about building a little community first and then that that has a trickle effect on the way out I don't know <laughs> that's that's my theory <laughs> do you sometimes pinch yourself with the scale of Bird's Nest and, and what you have built along, alongside your team? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. It was, it was, it was, it's not like I started out with this. I want to be, you know, it just, it seems, it feels like it's just happened very organically and bit by bit. What would you say to other regional businesses looking to you as the benchmark of what can happen and the infinite potential of living regionally? Have you got some advice for them? Oh, look, I think there's so many innovative people out in, out in the regions. I think there's, I, I feel like I can learn from them. I just feel like they're so ingenious and they come up with such great ideas. I think my advice would be more to people thinking about moving to the country or thinking about starting a business that look to these businesses and look to, to what's happening out in the regions and that you know yes if you can take any inspiration from the fact that we have been able to build this beautiful lifestyle and business in, in, a, in a in a regional area then that's great and I you know I think there's infinite possibilities and potential in regional Australia for people to come and businesses um, and build, build a life. After what some have described as a bit of a dumpster fire of year how is <laughs> Bird's Nest sitting now? Oh, well, amazingly, I, I don't know that we've ever been in a, in a better position in terms of just, you know, the incredible team we have the, and, you know, financially as well, you know, we've really been able to come out of this period um, and see growth above last year um, and just we've learned, yeah, we've just learned so much um, and we've experimented with new ideas, we've, we've launched our rehashed program which is which is something we've been thinking about for ages so which is vintage so this is you know pre-loved clothing um so you can return your business clothes and we're gonna you know we're starting a marketplace for that as well because i think we're all changing how we consume and yeah so i think you know we're really setting ourselves up for you know what the next phase will be how are you looking to incorporate those eco and environmental factors into the business 
Well, I think, yeah, I think I'm, I have two daughters that are complete eco-warriors and I think we're all, you know, we're definitely waking up to, well, woken up to how, how dramatically we all need to change the way we live to not only protect our planet but to protect, you know, future generations. So I think um, now is the time for action and, you know, we obviously are looking to how we use more and more renewables, how we make our clothes last for longer, how we change it all the way that we package and consume things so that they they break down and go back into the soil. And, you know, I think it's, it's, there's a lot to do and um, you know, just have to step up as much as we can and, in, and, and influence the things that we can change. It's kind of overwhelming. I get a bit overwhelmed with how much there is to do, both in, in my little community, in my business, and also, you know, across the human, across the world. So, Yeah. That's a whole podcast in itself, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, one foot in front of the other and doing the best we can, I think, is probably the best place to start. Yes. And you have mentioned your dad quite a few times <laughs> throughout the potty. Shout out to dad. That up too. I, I picked it up on myself. <laughs> <laughs> he was obviously a major, a major force in the creation of oh. Entrepreneurial Jane. How did business and uh, incorporate in your family life growing up? Yeah, so um, we did grow up where in a in a in a in a family where business was definitely the topic of conversation at the breakfast table, at the lunch table, and at the dinner table. Um, you know, and what state what what happened at the table was stayed at the table. You know, we really understood that things that were talked about there were not to be discussed outside the house. Um, so yeah, so dad. Um, Dad was an accountant and I think he always wanted to be a farmer, but um, he established an accountancy practice across regional Australia. Um, we lived in Moree for some time and Dubbo. Um, oh, we didn't live in Dubbo, but there was a branch in Dubbo um, and Slickfimmer where we are. It's now one of Wagga and Orange. So it was called Voice um, Chartered Accountants. And, you know, he's now obviously well retired. Um, and But, yes, it has... It, it, you know, he's always been involved in business, just loved it. I think what he loves about business is, is the people side of business. He's just, he just sees so much potential in everyone and, and everything that that enthusiasm definitely, yeah, is contagious. Um, and he had a big trip up a, a couple of years ago. He, he had a stroke. Um, so, you know, he's, um, he's, he's not, working anymore in that capacity but he's still dad he's still super enthusiastic about everything that I think his children do both me and my sister Sal so I think you know that is a huge part of um, you know anyone's confidence in going out and doing a business you know is having people who believe in you and surrounding yourself with people that do because there'll be plenty of people that think you're crazy <laughs> or think that and you, that's when you know you're onto something that is actually you know when people say your idea is crazy that oh maybe I'm onto something <laughs> <laughs> like selling clothes online crazy yeah. coat <laughs> oh Jane thank you so much for such a, a beautiful chat there's just been I think some nuggets of gold in there and some real wisdom and and just amazing to see your story the arc as you've um just continue to flourish from year to year so it's exciting to see what happens with bird's nest next and i really appreciate your time thanks for your warmth and beautiful It was magic to talk to Jane, 
and I could really see why she is such a leader. She's personable, magnetic, and generous to the core. I think I'm going to chuck it all in and run away to Kuma to join the birds at the nest. We'll have all the info on where you can shop till you drop at Bird's Nest in the show notes and follow along Jane's wonderful ride. We love having you on board for another series of Life on the Land, real conversations with regional and rural women. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can help us to continue giving a voice to women and their stories in the bush by sharing this podcast with all your besties. You can also find the Grazy Her magazine at your local stockist or gift a subscription to a friend at grazyherd.com.au. This is a Grazy Her podcast produced by Manson and Company.